I started thinking about and picturing the future and I couldn't picture anything. And that, that really scared me. And it scared me enough to saying, okay, it's time to reach out. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that is unapologetically you and then go get it. If you feel like you were meant for more and you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Okay, what happens when you went through school and then college, and then you sort of always knew what the next step would be. But now you're at a point in your career when you can't see the next step anymore, and it turns into a special kind of torture. It can seem like a trivial thing, but it's actually a very real and jarring experience when you're used to knowing what is coming for you, what is the next step, and always being able to imagine your future. Turns out, it's now up to you to figure out what to do next. But luckily, you're listening to The Perfect Podcast to help you figure that out. So there are a ton of kind of veteran transition programs, and that's really what I focused on. And they're all truly, I do believe, amazing resources, but the crux of the issue is still the same, that if you don't know what you want to do, which I absolutely didn't, then you're going to still end up with a job that you don't want. That's Julia Cabin. Julia had committed to serving in the U.S. Navy when she graduated from college, and the military is great at letting you know what your next steps will be. And it's easy to envision your future as a service member, but when Julia decided to transition out of the military, she struggled with the lack of structure that she'd always known and a lack of resources on what career she should move into. On top of that, when she began looking for jobs in the corporate world, she struggled to relate her military experience to the job postings, and she found herself considering jobs well below her military pay. Because she believed that ongoing myth that transitioning service members have to take a massive pay cut. I want you to pay attention to how Julia got really granular with job descriptions and relating them to her military experience. This gave her the confidence to go after the roles that she really wanted, also to feel qualified in interviews and ask for the pay that she truly deserved and was qualified for. All right, here's Julia going back to her decision to join the Navy. I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., and for college, I went to the University of Virginia, and I do not come from a military family at all, and I never even really considered going into the military. My parents kind of told me that if I wanted to go out of state for school, which I originally wanted to do so, I kind of had to figure out how to pay for it. And a family friend who was in the Navy said, you know, I think you'd be great for this and it'll get you through college. You'll have a job and it'll open a lot of doors for you. And you'll also be able to obviously contribute to this greater mission and I kind of said, sure, that sounds good. I was 17 and probably didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I received an ROTC scholarship, ended up staying in state for school. And pretty much from day one of college, I knew that I would be entering the Navy as soon as I graduated for at least five years. And kind of the overarching role that I did in the Navy, I was what they call a surface warfare officer. And they always kind of refer to that as the jack of all trades because you have the 
operational side, which is ship driving, learning the combat and engineering systems on the ship. And then you have an administrative job, which changes all the time. And it's really, you get to do so many different things. And that was one thing I always really liked as well, was just the constant variety. So what prompted you to decide to get out after five years? Tell me a little bit about that transition. Yeah. So any ROTC contract, the minimum of time, minimum amount of time you have to serve is five years. And you have to decide at least about a year in advance before the end of your contract, if you're going to try and do something differently. And I, for me, it came down to a few different factors. Like most jobs in the military, there's kind of one path. There's not really multiple different routes you can take. And I had seen what my path would look like, and it was not something I wanted to do. What would you have been doing at that point? So the ultimate goal for a SWO is what they call it, is to command a ship. And basically, I would have gone into two to three years of shore duty, which is you have a slower pace of life, things are a little bit more relaxed. But then after that, which you you can't just sign on for a few more years. You kind of have to do the whole the whole nine and it's you're working 14 to 18 hour days. You have absolutely no semblance of a life and you don't really get much say over the actual job you'll be doing. It's all very arbitrary, more or less. And I just kind of I would see that as a junior officer and I saw what the life of those leaders looked like. And I I just could not picture myself doing that whatsoever. So when you transitioned out then, what was the most difficult part of that transition? I'd say two things. The first is that I, I genuinely had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And I... I don't know why I thought this, but I I was truly convinced that I was just going to wake up one day and know, and that it was just going to dawn on me. And then I'd be able to to make some moves. And you're not the only one, Julia. I think that's how many of us I've, that's what I thought. That's honestly the way I thought at one point in my life that it was going to work. So you're not alone. Feel better. Um, and then the second fun thing that we all experienced was I, I left the Navy in May of 2020. And so the pandemic had just started and I I was terrified about finding a job. So I think all of those factors just really made it a very cha- a much more challenging transition than I expected. So when you started making that transition, where where were you focusing your time and attention? How how did that look for you at that time? So there are a ton of kind of veteran transition programs, and that's really what I focused on. And they're all truly, I do believe, amazing resources, but the crux of the issue is still the same, that if you don't know what you want to do, which I absolutely didn't, then you're going to still end up with a job that you don't want, which is exactly what happened to me. I was presented a job opportunity and it before I even accepted the job, just it wasn't really in line with any of my needs, but I just felt kind of desperate and felt like nothing else was going to come up, especially with the pandemic. And I figured, well, I'll the best way to find a job is to have a job. So I kind of just took whatever I could at that point. 
do you do you still feel the same way? Like if you're looking back at that now, do you feel like that was the right move for you at the time, or would you have gone back and done things differently? With, I mean, it's easy to say hindsight's twenty twenty because it is, right? But how, how do you look at that time period now and those decisions? I definitely wish I could have done things differently. One thing that Philip really helped me work on was thinking about what I actually want and not what I don't want, which is all I was focused on was I really wanted to do something completely different from the military without like, without totally being able to say why it wasn't about what drew me to that job. It's what drew me away from the military. And they're not the same thing. (laughs) They are not the same thing. What you're running from versus what you're running to have a tendency to be very, very different sometimes. And it's not always the opposite, too. A lot of times we think, well, it's the opposite of that, but eh, not not always the case. So what did that look like for you when you you took that role? I heard you say it didn't line up with some of your needs. What's a a couple examples of those, those needs that it wasn't quite fitting? So at the time, I... And I, I still feel this way, given my current life situation, I did not feel like a remote role would be the best for me. We were going into the pandemic. My husband was going on deployment. The yeah. idea of kind of being alone in my house all day for however long on end just did not sit with me. I love working with people. I love being around people. That's what I did every day in the military. So that was a big one. I'd say the second one was the salary. And I had all of these narratives in my ear when I was transitioning out that expect to take a massive pay cut. And I did take a massive pay cut. And I thought, okay, well, this is what's supposed to happen. So this is okay. And I never even really thought to think that I should shoot for something better and something more in line with my my salary goals, which it's a very hard thing to talk about in it's very normal in the military because everybody knows how much everybody makes, but as soon as you're out, it's like a very taboo topic. And I was not used to that at all. It's very weird in many different ways that it is so taboo. And I'm not sure that it always creates a, I don't know. I'm not sure it it creates a healthy environment, but that might be another podcast for another time. But here's, here's what I'm really curious about for you. I heard you say that people tell you just to expect a pay cut. Do you still feel that way? Or do you feel that that is misguided? Do you, tell me just how you think about that now. And what advice would you offer other people transitioning out of the military for how to think about it? I definitely think it is misguided. And I think it speaks to people who have had negative experiences and kind of pass those along as opposed to what they should be doing, which is seeking to help out the people who are coming after them. And I also think there's a another component to that as well, where every person who I've ever known in the military has a giant skill set that is truly, in my opinion, unprecedented. And I think that so many people don't know how to market that skill set and how to talk about it. And I think that's where one of the many contributing factors to why so many transitioning service members take a pay cut is they don't have the knowledge to 
really define and explain their experience. And it's, it's still something that I, it's hard for me now to fully explain to people what I did in the military. It's, I've gotten a lot better at it as working through coaching and things like that. But I think that being able to describe the work you actually did in line with a future job that really is at the same level you are at is very, very challenging. So my question then for you is when, when you started thinking about this differently, when you started defining what you're running to, what helped you the most move through this in a way that was useful to you to to target what you want, but also to help other, other people understand what you bring? Because in my opinion, you, you bring a huge diverse skill set and experience set. Yeah, I think two things. One is, and I feel like so many other transitioning service members would struggle with, struggle with this as well, but the kind of notion of it's okay to be selfish. I truly didn't think that I was allowed to feel like I wanted to be picky. And even when I accepted my first role, which was far from ideal for me, I still kind of felt, okay, I just feel so grateful to have a job. And I feel like, you know, I wake up every day grateful to be alive, but the bar has to be a little higher than that to really thrive. And I feel like that was one big thing of, okay, how can I give myself permission to be selfish and think about the ideal situation for me? And then I think the second thing was getting extremely granular with the jobs that are out there. I would, I kind of had an idea of the industry I wanted to go into. And I would tell Philip, I'm looking at a job description. I don't know what any of these words mean. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd be like, okay, Juliet, let's print it out. And we're going to go word by word. And we're going to translate that into words that make sense for you. And it is a skill to learn how to read a job description, especially coming from a non-corporate world. And just really getting to that level of detail was so helpful for me and saying, okay, this word means X from my experience. And here's how I can reframe this to say exactly what I'm trying to say in words that other people will understand. That is Really interesting, first of all, because I heard you say I wasn't used to being selfish. And I would say, arguably, that what you, what you have done and what you were wanting actually isn't selfish, but we have a tendency to think that it is that way as, as a society. But really, I would say it probably falls under getting what you need so that you can serve other people even better. And you're probably... I don't know, you can tell me, but I would guess you're probably a much better performer in the roles that you've actually enjoyed versus the ones that are just taking, taking, taking from you. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And it's, I think it's that reframe of that mindset that can help people think about their own needs and not just, I should be doing this, or I should just feel lucky to have the bare minimum, if that makes sense. Well, and I think I, I've been searching for a while actually for an analogy or a way to like reframe that because that whole selfish thing is something that comes up again and again and again. But you said, Hey, I, I feel grateful to be alive, 
but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm anywhere close to thriving, right? And it really is that same situation for, I, I feel grateful to have a job. And that part is good. However, being grateful to, to have a job does not mean that you can't ever want something more in any way whatsoever. So I appreciate you pointing that out. And the, the thing I wanted to ask you about, having been through this type of transition yourself, what would you tell people that want to make a similar transition, how to refocus and get what they might want or need rather than just leaving it in the, leaving it un, unchecked because it falls into the selfish category? That's a good one. I would, I think, I know it's not a great idea to think about what we don't want in general, but I do think that's a good starting point of what is something that maybe I didn't enjoy from my previous experience that I would like to change and to really just own that desire. And I don't think it's too much. And people are allowed to want the things they want out of something that takes up eight plus hours of their day. And I think that's a really great place to start is where are the gaps between what I've done and what I would like to be doing. And I think another thing that has really helped me that Philip has helped reframe me is it's not about just the job I want. It's the life that I want to lead. And sometimes you can want a job, but it's not compatible with the life that you want. And you need to be able to distinguish those differences. And I think by keeping the ideal life as the priority, you can find a job that fits within that and not vice versa. We have so many people that come to us focused on the job aspect, but to your point, the, the job isn't necessarily that useful unless you understand what is the type of life that you're trying to build? What does that look like? What does that involve? Who does that involve? How does that, how does that, how does that work per se? And if you're building towards that perpetually, it's much easier to see whether something fits into that or steers you away from that. So I appreciate you pointing that out. And what I'm super curious about, cause you made, you made an initial transition and it turned out not to be as good of a fit as you'd hoped. Yeah, Can you tell me a little bit about what you transitioned to initially in your, in your, we'll call it your, I guess, second career change. Cause you went from the military into one type of job, left that, and then moved into, moved into working with Amazon, right? For a while. I did. And this was, I think if I could pick one thing to do differently during my coaching time, this would 100% be it. I sort of had these major compounding factors in my life that I was really not expecting. My husband and I bought a house and two months after I moved into it, he was deployed, but we found out we were moving. So that was kind of weird factor, unexpected number one. A couple of weeks after that, I lost my job. And then I also was unfortunately going through some pretty serious health issues at the time as well. And I was just feeling extremely lost and we were about to make our move. And I I think I was both struggling personally, professionally, but also with kind of my own identity within that move. And I, I thought I need to be in a space where I feel kind of safe to be a military spouse and have that accepted. And again, I, I just picked one criteria and ran with that. And I knew that company 
is very supportive of both ex-military and military spouses. And I kind of felt, okay, this is a pretty safe bet for me, which it was, again, did not meet the salary requirements for me. Um, It was really not supportive of the other personal things I had going on in my life. And I ended up with that job pushing myself to this completely unnecessary breaking point that I completely inflicted on myself. And I think if I had, again, looked more holistically and not just at one thing, then I could have avoided all that. (laughs) What prompted you to realize it was time to leave Amazon? I think, I think there was one big thing and I, it's a kind of a crappy thing, but it's also, I, I kind of believe in these signs from the universe. And I went to the doctor and I was, it was a Tuesday and he said, you need to come back in for an unexpected surgery on Friday. And I, that was not how I pictured that day or that week going. And, but it was a wake up call that I was pushing myself way too far for really no reason. I, this is, this was not my dream job. This was not where I wanted my life to be going. I just, I kind of had some identity issues, some pride issues to work out. And that was the universe giving me a wake up call that this, this was not the path for me. I've had many of those experiences over, over my lifetime. (laughs) And I have also found that they serve really well as wake up calls. So once you got that wake up call, and went through that set of experiences, which sounds challenging to put it at the very least. What, what did that cause you to do? Or when did you start taking action or what happened from there? From there, I basically told Philip, I am, I'm all in, I'm trusting you. I'm not going to settle for my next role. I'm going to give myself the time that I need to kind of physically get past what I'm dealing with in my personal life. And then I want to hit the ground running and I'm not going to settle for anything less than what I want, even if it takes longer than I want, even if it's hard and frustrating, which it was all of those things, of course. But that was kind of what I decided was no more settling because I settled twice and it did not work out the way I wanted to. And so I think that was, I, once I committed to that, things really started trending up and making, and I started making a ton of progress. I think what's really interesting that I found in not just your story, but, you know, many of the stories that we share on, on this podcast, but I've also experienced it too, is that things are going to be, there's always going to be challenges. It's always going to be hard in one way or another. So do you want it to be hard because you are settling for something or do you want it to be hard because you're going after what you really actually want? And that's the sort of logic that I keep coming back to year after year after year because everybody has challenges in their life and they look very, very different. And the challenges in something that you really want to be doing, at least I've found, are far more palatable. They're better challenges. They're better problems than, than going after an area that you just really don't want to be in or you've settled for. So have you had, has your experience been similar to that or how would you describe how you think about it now after, after settling a couple of times, as you said? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of where I think I'll approach things where whatever I do moving forward is 
It'll always be hard, but the reasons it's hard are completely up to you. And Mm. that is, I think, just after settling twice and then not settling and seeing how rewarding that can be and getting that one win under my belt. It's the con, you know, everyone needs like one good win sometimes. And that's how I felt. And I thought, okay, I can not settle moving forward. I can dream bigger. I can go after even more next time around because I finally realized that it's okay to not settle. And it's funny because I, I feel like I, I haven't settled in any other area of my life. And so why would I do so professionally? Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah. W- when did you realize that? Oh gosh, man, I don't know. I think probably a month before I got my job that I have now. You just take inventory of the things that are otherwise going on. And I'm always, I'm the pusher in my relationship and in all aspects of my life. I'm always pushing for the best and the next thing. And I realized that I can't do that in every single area of my life except for my job. And yeah, it's just, it's a different mindset. I feel like when you're kind of at the mercy of somebody else, which you are in any kind of job situation, but that's still not a reason to not push for what you can, the best for what you deserve, I Mm -hmm. guess. So tell me a little bit about what you, what you do now. What's, what's your title? Tell me a little bit about what, what your work looks like. Yes. Yeah, so I, I'm in, in, I'm in internal communications and employee engagement, and I do a lot of writing, which is by far one of the most favorite aspects of my job. It's something that I knew I had a strong skill set in before starting this, and I really wanted to take into my next job. And then as for employee engagement, it's kind of a mix of things like events, different internal functions that keep people connected to the company and our overall mission. Where did you figure out that you wanted to carry writing over into, into this, this opportunity? I think once, I think one thing, Philip, once he was able to get in, into my head that I needed to stop thinking about the things I don't want and look back to all of the things that have brought me joy. One thing that I, I kind of realized that stuck out to me was during my time in the military, I had always wanted to become a public affairs officer, which is kind of their version of a journalist. And unfortunately it never worked out for me during my time in the military. It's a very competitive field and I I wasn't selected. And I think because of that, I kind of wrote off that whole concept and that desire never went away. I mean, I literally was trying for four out of my five years in the Navy to do this. And once I kind of realized, okay, I just because that it didn't work out in that situation, it doesn't mean that desire left. And I was able to really take that knowledge and get really clear on how I wanted my next role to look. And it wanted, I wanted something in that industry similar to that. That's really cool. One, that you realize that, and two, that you now have found that in this latest version of your career. So tell me a little bit about how did, and let's get really granular for a little bit here. How did you go from working at Amazon, realizing, hey, this is not quite the fit that I'm looking for, 
And then what were some of the key milestones and steps that had to take place for you to, on the other end of this, accept this opportunity that is a much better fit for you? I think, again, one thing that really helped me was all of the job description nitty gritty, where I would look at a job that was interesting and we would go line by line. And I found that when I really took the time to understand what the description was actually saying, nine times out of 10, I had done something that very much kind of checked that box, especially pursuing being a PAO in the Navy. I had so many side projects I did during my time. And I realized I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And it was one of those things where I realized I have to tell them how my experience correlates to what they're going to ask me to do. It's not their job to decipher that from my resume. It's my job to explain that more clearly. And when I was able to really get to that level of detail and say, on my resume and in an interview, how can I portray that they're asking me to do X in this job? How can I show that I have already done that? And I have that skill set. And that's where it got really down to the nitty gritty and just getting to that level of detail was so helpful and really made all the difference. What what took place from there for you after you started realizing that, hey, it's my role, which I think that's a very uncommon realization, unfortunately, and I'd love to change that. So I'm really glad that you pointed out, hey, it's my job to be able to make sure that I'm communicating clearly how I fit what this organization needs, right? But once you had that realization, once you started getting into the specifics, what happened next that led you towards this role? I feel like that was kind of the beginning of, I felt like I kind of had this dead period where I realized that I was working, I was reaching out, I was applying And for two weeks, absolutely nothing happened. And then everything happened all at once. (laughs) I had zero prospects, zero anything. And then I had four interviews lined up. And speaking of kind of the job description concept, while it was great to really pair what I've done to different parts of the job description, it also, I didn't check off every little bullet of the job description. And I used to look at that and think, oh my God, I'm so grossly unqualified for these roles. And one interesting story was I had, I made it all the way through an interview process with this one job. I had four interviews. They had asked for 10 years of experience in this very niche field. And I didn't even have 10 years work experience, but I ended up making it all the way through. And I I wasn't offered the job because they told me they actually thought I was too senior. So I think also just being able to take the job descriptions with a grain of salt was good. But yeah, once I was able to really get that detail down, I had all of these interviews lined up and I did tell Philip, I, I, this is where I feel like I, I do my best is during interviews. I just wasn't able to get them because I wasn't good at explaining what I've done and how it lines up with this organization's role they're hiring for. And I felt like after that, I really things started to get a lot more in a state of flow because I do feel like I do pretty well in interviews. I can see why, you know, (laughs) you're such a great communicator and (laughs) what caused you to realize that you needed or wanted help? I, so one thing I feel like I I'm always doing is I'm always thinking about the next step. I always, I'm kind of a, 
I guess you could say a daydreamer. I'm always thinking about the future and what I want. And I, I always can picture it very clearly. And I got to a point where I would wrap up my day and I would spend probably two to three hours on my couch at the end of the day, Googling, you know, how do I figure out the right career for me? And doing that day after day after day, you'd think I'd realize that I I don't think I can get there on my own. And it wasn't until I think all of the, we had our move coming up so many different factors. And I started thinking about and picturing the future and I couldn't picture anything. And that, that really scared me. And it scared me enough to saying, okay, it's time to reach out because I, I don't have the picture anymore. And that's something I've never been able to not have. What advice would you give to people that are in that place right now, where they've kind of always known what the next thing might be for them, but now they, now they're questioning that, or now they don't necessarily know what that can look like. I would honestly, I mean, tell them to reach out to somebody and ask for help because I, I don't think I really understood how normal it is to have a career coach and how there's, there's a whole reason that you, you, your team dedicates their lives to this is because everybody at some point or another will find themselves in a similar situation and it's okay to reach out and ask for help. And I think that I don't know if I could have figured it out on my own, but even if I did, it would have taken me a long, long time and time is all we have. So I kind of wanted to learn these lessons and, and get through that faster and, that's, that would be my biggest advice is help, like have someone reach out to somebody who can help you get really clear and just, it's okay to not know, but it's not okay to not do anything about it, I guess. And then I think that kind of what I was saying about how I, I left because I just didn't see the path ahead in the one way to climb the military ladder. And I would just tell anyone to really define success for yourself because the military has one path to success and that's how that organization needs to be. That's how it needs to function, but that's not how the real world functions. And whatever is success to you is really all that matters now. So how has your definition of success changed? I use assessment working all the time because I worked all the time military. And I thought that your whole life needed to be your job. And it wasn't until I realized how much I wanted my identity and my work to be separated that I was able to actually start doing that. And I feel now that, you know, my work is obviously a part of what I do, but it is not who I am. And I think that is a really, for me, that's really important and to carry that through the rest of my life. And I came from the military where your work is your identity. And it, I don't know, I, I know very few people who it's not that the case for them in that organization. And I'm just really happy that I was able to kind of say, that's not what success means to me anymore and make a change. Hey, if you've been thinking about making a change for a while now, and you don't really know how to best take the first step or get started, here's what I would suggest. 
just open your email app on your phone right now. And I'm going to give you my personal email address, scott at happentoyourcareer.com. Just email me and put conversation in the subject line. Tell me a little bit about your situation and I'll connect you with the right person on our team where we can figure out the very best way that we can help you. Scott at happentoyourcareer.com. Drop me an email. Here's a sneak peek into what we have coming up in store for you next week. I can walk out of this office at the end of the day with a smile on my face and I can know exactly which strengths I was living in Mm -hmm. today to make me feel good. And when you know that, you will never settle for less than that again. We spent a lot of time talking about working in your strengths on this podcast, but you may have found yourself wondering, why do strengths even matter? I guess it depends. Do you want to even enjoy your work? If so, Gallup has some amazing data that they have gathered from more than 34 million people that strongly suggest that people who have a ridiculously high awareness about themselves are more satisfied with their work and are happier. You might have even taken every assessment, personality test, and quiz out there only to find out that you're still in the same place. But in order to do work that you're great at and gets you excited, you have to understand what your strengths mean for you. All that and plenty more next week right here on Happen to Your Career. Make sure that you don't miss it. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically. Even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, adios. I'm out.